Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for January, February and March 2013. Titled Origins, this podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 4 for November 19-25, to 25, Creation, a Biblical Theme, Sabbath Afternoon, January 19. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we've been studying about the creation. We've been studying about what your word says to us, and we take it by faith. As we open your word again this week, we pray that your name may be glorified, that your Holy Spirit will guide our thoughts and our minds, that we may know more about you, but also to incorporate it into our lives. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right through to chapter 2, verse 3, is the foundation for many creation texts found in Scripture. Some references in Genesis 1 are clear, others are more indirect. The more indirect references often involve a repetition of certain words or ideas without directly quoting the text, such as 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. A direct reference, in contrast, is Hebrews 4.4. 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works a quote from Genesis 2.2. This week, we will look at various references that point back to the Genesis account and show how other Bible writers understood it as a literal depiction of human origins. Sunday, January 20, Creation in Genesis 2 Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 reads, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 2 verse 3 is the first account of God creating our world. It forms the foundation of all the other truths that we as Christians believe. But the creation account doesn't end there. From Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 to the end of the chapter, we are given more details, specifically regarding the creation of Adam and Eve. Thus, we would interpret Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 as the introduction to a more detailed history of the creation of Adam and Eve, an act that is briefly summarized in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 29. 
Some modern scholars have argued that a conflict exists between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, but this would have been a surprise to Moses and the other biblical writers. If the stories were seen as conflicting, Moses would never have written them, especially so close together. The conflict isn't with the texts. It's with those who read a conflict into them. Question. Read Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. How does Jesus affirm the historical truth of Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Matthew 19, verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. In response to the Pharisees' question about divorce, Jesus quoted from both Genesis 1.27 and 2.24, showing that he considered both to be discussing the same historical event, the creation of the world and humanity. How much more proof do we need that Genesis 1 and 2 are harmonious accounts of creation, the doctrine and teaching that forms the foundation of our existence and purpose? We are not here by chance. We are not here by fluke. We are beings made in the image of God, and the Genesis creation account, as revealed in chapters 1 and 2, is God's special revelation to us of our origins. Question. Read Genesis chapter 2, the whole chapter. Let's read that. Genesis chapter 2. And that reads from verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. 
Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So to finish today, how does it help us to better understand what it means to be human, to be made in the image of God, and to be given free will? Monday, January 21, Creation in the Psalms Question. Read Psalm 8. What links do you find with Genesis chapter 1? Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. O our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength, because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honour. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Question. Read Psalm 104. Note how this psalm praises God for his goodness. As seen in both creation and providence. Identify the links with Genesis 1 in the following verses from Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honour and majesty who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. And then verses 5 to 7, who 
You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. And verses 7 to 9. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys, to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. And verse 14. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And verse 19, He appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knows it's going down. And verse 25, This great and wide sea, in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. Note how the psalm's topical sequence seems to be crafted to follow the topical sequence of Genesis 1. Poetic imagery is vividly presented throughout the verses, and its message clearly indicates the power, wisdom, and goodness of God, and the dependence of all the creation on the Creator. Nothing in the psalm hints that the Genesis account was not to be taken literally. Question Note the following examples from the Psalms that correlate with Genesis 1. First of all, Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon seas, and established it upon the waters. And Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth. And then Psalm 74, verses 16 and 17. The day is yours, the night also is yours. You have prepared the light and the sun. You have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. And Psalm 89 Verse 11. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all its fullness. You have founded them. The Psalms are full of praise for the Creator. Sometimes this is expressed in language reminiscent of Genesis 1. Other times the language is more general. But in all cases, the description of creation is consistent with Genesis 1 and reminds us of the foundational role of Genesis in all our understanding of our origins as sons and daughters of God. Tuesday, January 22, Creation in the Book of Job Question. Read Job, chapter 38, verses 1 to 21. Note the creation topics in verses 4 to 7, 8 to 11, 12, 16, and 19. Beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? 
Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors? When it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it, and set bars and doors, when I said, This far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on form like clay under a seal, and stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea, or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place? That you may take it to its territory, that you may know the paths to its home. Do you know it because you were born then, or because the number of your days is great? It's important to remember the context of the book of Job. Great tragedy struck, and Job was struggling to understand how this could happen to him, a faithful follower of God. In chapter 38, up through chapter 41, the Lord continues to talk about his creative power, all in response to Job's pained questioning. Question. Read carefully Job's response to the Lord in Job 42, verses 1 to 6. Why did Job respond as he did, and what can we learn from this response that could help us to trust God in our own personal tragedy? Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 42, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes." Job's inability to explain features of the creation led him to recognize the greatness of God and to trust Him, despite everything that had happened. We also find ourselves unable to answer many questions about the creation, and Job's example should encourage us to trust God no matter what. Many questions about everything in life will remain unanswered, at least for now. We will have an eternity to get explanations for what now seems incomprehensible. The point is that, through the marvels of creation, which we today understand so much better now than Job ever could, we should learn to trust in God's incredible love 
and power. So to finish today, we today, living after the cross, have a view of the Creator also as our crucified Redeemer, something that Job never had, at least not as clearly as we do. How much more, then, should we trust in the Lord's goodness toward us, knowing what He did for us? Wednesday, January 23, Creation in the Prophets Isaiah 45, verse 18 reads, For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Isaiah 45 verse 18 emphasizes God's intention to prepare a place for humans to live. Thus, the fitness of the earth for life is not an accident. Consider some of the features of earth that make it a fit place for human life in contrast to the other planets in our solar system. First, water is present in abundance. There is some evidence of water activity on Mars, but there are no standing bodies of water on Mars or on any other planet aside from Earth. Another unique feature of Earth is the composition of the atmosphere, about 21% oxygen and 78% nitrogen. Other planets have atmospheres dominated either by carbon dioxide or by helium, but only Earth has an atmosphere suitable for life. The range of temperatures on Earth is suitable for terrestrial life, unlike any of the other planets in our solar system. This is due to a combination of factors, including our distance from the Sun, the composition of our atmosphere, the mass of the Earth, and the speed of its rotation, which determines the length of days and nights. All these features and more make Earth the only known planet suitable for sustaining life. Question. How do the following texts relate to the events described in Genesis 1? First of all, Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. And Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 12. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts I have commanded. And then Jeremiah 51, verses 15 and 16. He has made the earth by his power, he has established the world by his wisdom, and stretched out the heaven by his understanding. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causes the vapors to ascend from the urns of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. And Amos chapter 4 and verse 13. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is, and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his 
name. And Jonah chapter 1 and verse 9. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And our final text is Zechariah chapter 12 verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. So, to finish today, think through the implications of our origins and why getting them right is so important to our understanding of who we are, why we are here, and what we can hope for in a world that, in and of itself, offers no hope at all. Thursday, January 24, Creation in the New Testament Question. Read Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 31. What were the circumstances of this sermon? After Paul had introduced his topic, what was the first topic he brought to these learned men? What does Paul say is the relationship between the Creator God and humans? Beginning at verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said. For we are also his offspring." Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. The audience here no doubt includes the two groups of philosophers known as Stoics and Epicureans. The Stoics affirmed the reality of design in nature, while the Epicureans denied it. Neither had a knowledge of the true God, but their arguments about design were similar to many of the arguments still discussed in our day. The important point here is that, in his witness to these pagan thinkers and intellectuals, Paul reverts directly to the argument of the Lord as the creator of all things and all humanity. 
Paul had little in common with these people, so he went right to what they did have in common, the fact that they existed, and from that undeniable reality he sought to build his argument. Hence, we see creation as, again, a crucial theme in Scripture. Look at the following texts. Matthew 19, Mark 2, and so on, what's fascinating in each one of these New Testament authors either directly or indirectly make reference to the Genesis creation account, more evidence proving just how universally accepted the Genesis account of origins was to all the Bible writers. First of all, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And Luke chapter 3 verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And then... 1 John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And our next text is Second Corinthians and chapter 4 and verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And then Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And James chapter 3 and verse 9. And that reads, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. And then Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. And finally, Jude, chapter 1, and verses 11 and 14. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints. What's fascinating is that each one of these New Testament authors either directly or indirectly makes reference to the Genesis creation account, more evidence proving just how universally accepted the Genesis account of origins was to all the Bible writers. Question. Read Revelation 4.11 and 10.5 and 6. What do the heavenly beings say about God's creatorship? 
Chapter 4, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And finally, Revelation chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives for ever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. Creation was not an accident, but occurred by the will of God. The second passage contains a clear allusion to Exodus 20, verse 11. Once again, as in John 1, 1-3, John shows his familiarity with and confidence in the creation story. How foolish for us to do anything less. Friday, January 25. The Bible is a book about God and His relationship to us humans and our world. The events of Creation Week are unique and supernatural. They are outside the realm of scientific inquiry for at least two reasons. First, they are singularities. Singularities are events that occur only once. Science has a difficult time dealing with singularities because they cannot be repeated and tested under differing circumstances. Second, the creation events were supernaturally caused. They were not the natural result of the way that God sustains the creation. They were special, direct acts of God. Science deals only with secondary causes and does not, at least, as now practised, accept any explanation that depends on God's direct action. Because the creation events are unique and supernatural, they lie outside the reach of science. One's view of origins has important implications for one's view of human nature and self-identity. Understanding our origins is so important that God had it placed as the first subject in the Bible and the message of the Bible is based on the historicity of the creation account. To claim that we can learn the true history of our world through science is to claim that it can be explained without appealing to any direct action by God. An error that has led to more error. From the book The Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 89. Men will endeavour to explain from natural causes the work of creation, which God has never revealed. But human science cannot search out the secrets of the God of heaven and explain the stupendous works of creation, which were a miracle of almighty power, any sooner than it can show how God came into existence. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Creation is a dominant theme throughout the entire Bible. Is there any evidence that Bible writers had different views of creation, or that any of them had doubts about the veracity of any parts of Genesis? Why is this answer important? 2. What reasons do you think someone might give to justify the rejection of the idea that nature is designed? And 3. 
Jesus endorsed the authority of Moses in Luke 16, including the story of creation in Mark 2 and Matthew 19. Given this background and the example of Jesus, what should be our attitude toward the story of creation? Inside Story, The Missionary Café Sixteen-year-old Anya's heart raced as she and her father stepped into the small café in the heart of Krasnoyarsk, Siberia. Could she ask a complete stranger to turn a business over to some teenagers, even for a few hours? The adventure for God had begun months earlier, when Anya and her teenage friends had visited a sister church in Siberia. The teens there were running a successful café outreach. Anya and her friends returned home with a dream to start a similar outreach in their own city. The youth prayed and planned. When they shared their dream with other church members, some tried to discourage them. This will be expensive, one said. No one will come, another added. You're wasting your time, another protested. But Anya's father, the pastor, encouraged the youth to let God lead. Anya and her father stepped into the café and greeted the owner. They sat together at an empty table. We are Seventh-day Adventist Christians, Anya began. Our youth group would like to use your café one Sunday morning a month to host a Christian program for about 30 young people. We can pay for food, but we can't pay rent. Anya waited for the café's owner to respond. Business isn't good on Sunday morning the woman said as she considered the request. Yes, you can use the café for two hours. Just put things back where you found them and don't make a mess. Anya smiled. God surely had gone before us, she thought. Anya and her friends prepared advertising for Café Orange, finalised their program and prayed for a good attendance. The doors opened and people streamed in. The youth had planned for 30 people, but 55 came, including 15 who were not Seventh-day Adventists. Anya noticed that the café waiters and the few other customers were listening to the program too. She realised that their mission field stretched beyond those who had been set out to reach. How like God to give us more than we ask for, she thought. The youth invited those who came to Café Orange to attend youth meetings at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and several came. Today the church supports the café ministry, though it is still operated by the youth. We want others to know that Christians can have fun. We want to give them a chance to become children of God. Anya cites one of her favourite Bible texts to sum up her philosophy of youth ministries. It's 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. That's our goal, she says. Your mission offerings are helping the Seventh-day Adventist youth in Krasnoyarsk, a city in the heart of Siberia, to reach out for Christ. Thank you. <laughs> 